When you wake up well-rested on a great mattress, everything becomes clear. I do have a favorite child. Things you missed when you were tired finally reveal themselves. I use memes as a coping mechanism. It's Mattress Firm's once-a-year sale and clearance. Get up to 60% off select Sealy, plus a free adjustable base, all with free and fast delivery. Deals this big won't last long, so don't miss out. The right mattress matters. We'll find yours. Restrictions apply. See store or website for details. Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, I'm Georgine Rice. This week, Albert Moeller looks at the massive problem on our nation's southern border. It's a simple fact that a country that allows its border to be out of control will cease at some point to be a country. And what's behind it? This isn't incompetence. This isn't mismanagement. This is by design. Joe Biden ran on open borders, right? We'll take a look at efforts to help Ukrainian Jews who recently fled one war to face another in Israel. And these people, you know, they just moved there and trying to avoid one war. They found themselves in the middle of another one that was very intense. And we'll consider efforts to minister to them. Jesus was Jew, and most of these people had no idea. We've got all this and more. I'm Georgine Rice, and I'm glad to be with you once again. I'm coming to you from the Pacific Northwest and my home station of KPDQ in Portland and live in Seattle on 820 AM, The Word. I invite you to catch the stream of my program at kpdq.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with our nation's southern border, a crisis that's reached record numbers, 10 to 12,000 people in a day. And these are some of the highest numbers ever recorded. Albert Moeller took a closer look from his briefing podcast. Let's just stay on the southern border of the United States with Mexico for a bit and look at one of the most interesting unfolding dramas in recent American politics. It has to do with the president of the United States, Joe Biden. And uh, in this case, not only the Republican majority in the House of Representatives, but also Republicans in the United States Senate. Because on the issue we're going to discuss right now, the Republicans in the House and the Senate are unusually unified. And this has to do with the fact that the Republicans are insisting that the administration put into legislation that would include military aid for Ukraine, that the administration would also put in meaningful resolution of at least some of the crisis in the American border, the southern border, and in particular, the influx of immigrants, and in particular, those who are claiming asylum, and in many cases are not being held, but are being allowed to go into the general population. And we are talking about a radical increase in the number of persons who are entering this country without legal basis and are claiming asylum. And there is simply no doubt what is going on here. The border's out of control. It's a simple fact that a country that allows its border to be out of control will cease at some point to be a country. But Without being alarmist, let's just say that at this point, the United States has a very significant illegal immigration problem. And here's where you see the Biden administration in a very interesting spot. So in the mainstream media, what you see right now is the Biden administration saying that Republicans are being obstructionists because Republicans are trying to attach increased border security. And by the way, the Republicans have caught on to the reality. So this is not just some kind of lip service they're demanding to border security. Genuine increase in border security to bring about a genuine decrease in the influx of those who are coming in and, in many cases, falsely claiming asylum. You have 
the Biden administration trying to present this and the mainstream media trying to cooperate in presenting this as Republican obstructionism and Republicans doing something weird by trying to put together two things that don't belong together in legislation. In this case, border security and military aid for Ukraine. The Biden administration is trotting out officials and they are just trumpeting the argument that Republicans are doing a crazy thing here, trying to put these two things together. And yet, let's just remind ourselves that it was the president of the United States himself who put these things together. The original putting of these things together was not done by congressional Republicans, but by the Biden administration. The background to this is that the Biden administration knows that if you put three things together, military support for Israel, military support for Ukraine, and support for immigration reform at the border and increased security, you have two things that might get the other thing over the finish line. And so when it comes to military support for Israel, wide American support. When it comes for meaningful reform in our immigration crisis, you have actually overwhelming support. When it comes to Ukraine, you do not have overwhelming support. That is also, at least in the Biden administration's original proposal, the vast majority of the funds, that is, going to Ukraine rather than the other two things put together. So the Biden administration put all three things together in order to try to achieve a political victory because anyone who was for two of those things might be taken over the line on the third. But Republicans very successfully countered the move by saying that Ukraine and Israel are not the same thing, that there is an urgent need in Israel right now, and there is overwhelming support for Israel. And so it was the Republicans who said, look, those three things don't go together. But remember, they hadn't put them together originally. The Biden administration had. Indeed, the president of the United States had. And so take Israel out of the equation right now, and you are left with the main political dynamic being Ukraine and the border reform, immigration reform, and you have the president who is wanting to get this military aid for Ukraine as quickly as possible and as much of it, or at least of his proposal, as possible. And Republicans are, and here's something almost miraculous in political terms, the Republicans in the House and the Republicans in the Senate, they're basically standing together on this, saying no to the Biden administration because it is a national security package. And even as Ukraine is tied to national security issues, so is achieving national security at the nation's southern border. Those two things, Republicans say, go together. The president was right to put them together. The president is now disingenuous to suggest that it's the Republicans who put them together. It's the Republicans who are now insisting that they stay together. All right, so what's the political dynamic? I started out just a bit ago by saying there is widespread concern. Indeed, there's bipartisan concern about an out-of-control border. Why won't the president just declare victory on both of these things and move forward? It's because he is scared to death of the left wing of the Democratic Party. And the left wing of the Democratic Party, which is in control overwhelmingly and all out of size with its numbers, The left of the Democratic Party does not want a meaningful border and certainly will resist any effort whatsoever to restrict the illegitimate inflow into the United States of those who are claiming asylum. Okay, this is where things get even more interesting because the Republicans are onto something else. And that is that the approach of the White House, and by the way, it's not just this White House. A succession of White Houses, including Republican administrations, has played games with this. Let's just say that we reduce this to a matter of math we can all understand. Let's just say that everyone is assuming that the number two is good, that you have two people who fit this category. Well, at present, you have something like 10 people 
claiming that category every single minute of every single day. And the Republicans are on to the fact that when President Biden says, oh, he's committed to some kind of meaningful action, cutting back from 10 to 2 still leaves the big problem of the increase from 2 to 6. This is how the immigration, migration, border crisis has snowballed in the United States over the course of the last 30 or 40 years. Over the last three years, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas put forward the line that the border is secure. The border is secure. But that is a fiction. Our border is not secure. And border security matters. Eric Metaxas turned to Tom Homan, former acting director of ICE. Most Americans, whether they support Trump or whether they think the Republicans are, most Americans know that what is happening is that People are scamming our justice system. Judges and politicians are not enforcing our laws. So this breakdown is on our side. I cannot blame poor people from other countries to want to come to America. People all over the world want to come to America. You cannot blame these people, but you can blame American politicians who look the other way while people are swarming across our border. It's uh, it's incredibly bizarre. I guess to me it is just profoundly cynical and and, and sick. I I can't help looking at the situation. And most Americans, I think, know this. They they know that the Democratic Party is doing this on purpose. Is there any other way to see it, I guess, is my question. No, you're exactly right. I've said from day one, this is by design. This isn't incompetence. This isn't mismanagement. This is by design. Joe Biden ran on open borders, right? He says he's going to do a moratorium on deportations. He's going, to, he's going to award amnesty and DACA. He's going to shut down ICE detention. He's going to, he's going to uh, give illegal aliens free health care. When you make those types of promises the entire world, they're going to come. And the problem is the most vulnerable people in the world are going to take their chance to come to the United States because they know they're going to be turning themselves over the board, Joe, be released within 24 hours, given a plane ticket to the city of their choice at taxpayer expense, be given work authorization while they while their case pens for the next three, four, or five years. Of course they're going to come. But here's a problem. I don't care what anybody's opinion is on illegal immigration. But when you cause a crisis this big that overwhelms the border patrol, where, where today 70 to 90% of agents are off patrol. They're changing diapers, making baby porn, making hospital runs, doing the processing. When you take 70, 90% of agents off the line, that's when the fentanyl comes across that killed 112,000 Americans. That's when the no-inspected terrorists can cross. That's when the trafficking, sex trafficking of women and children are at a sky, is at historic levels. Creating these, create, this, this creating gaps in our system on the southern border is what's driving the overdose deaths, the no-inspected terrorists that come across, the sex trafficking of women and children, the fentanyl, the, the, the Mexican cocaine. This is a downside of an open border, not just a massive illegal immigration. Overwhelming Borbachev causes a significant national security threat, and I've said this for two years. What's happening on our southern border right now is the biggest national security failure since 9-11, because the Borbachev's arrested people from 171 different countries. Some of these countries are sponsors of terror. Last year alone, they arrested over 300 people on terrorist watch lists on the southern border. We got 1.7 million known gotaways, if you don't think. A single one of that 1.7 million gotaways didn't come from a country sponsored terror, then you're an idiot. This is the biggest national security failure this country has seen. Okay, but again, so the conclusion, I mean, this is the reason 
that I believe by God's grace, Trump will win the next election. I think your average American looks at this and says there is something evil at play. This is not difference of opinion. There is something evil at play. What is going to happen as a result of these people coming in? Some of these people we know are evil actors. They're going to murder Americans. Some of them are, you know, uh, uh, pro-Hamas people who would love to murder as many Jews as they can murder. That is who Joe Biden and his administration are letting into this country. There's going to be blood on his hands. There's already blood on his hands, allowing the fentanyl to come in, allowing vicious gangs. I mean, there is no way for me to comprehend that this is anything other than evil and an intentional subversion of the United States of America, of our laws. And I, I think that, you know, in our lifetimes, we, we just never dreamt that a U.S. president would allow anything like this to happen. When I think back to Jimmy Carter, we say, oh, he was weak. He did this. He did that. Jimmy Carter is a saint. He's Ronald Reagan compared to Joe Biden. We've, we've simply never seen anything like this. Coming up, Ukrainian Jews flee Ukraine for Israel. And these people, you know, they just moved there and trying to avoid one war. They found themselves in the middle of another one that was very intense. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hey, everybody, Hugh Hewitt for Alliance Defending Freedom. It's year in, and that's time when you write checks and you make contributions to the organizations and charity to do the most for you. Well, I want you to consider a year-end gift to the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is in the First Amendment business. They protect your speech, podcasts like this. They especially protect the free exercise of your religion. No matter which church you attend or none at all, no matter whether you want to do a Bible study on campus or just do it at home, Call one 352 That's 1-888-352-5888. 1-888-352-5888. Or visit joinadf.com slash freedom. Please make your generous gift by December 31st to meet our important year-end goal. Every gift helps protect our freedom. That's joinadf.com slash freedom or one 352 Hey, everybody, Hugh Hewitt for Alliance Defending Freedom. It's year end, and that's time when you write checks and you make contributions to the organizations and charity to do the most for you. Well, I want you to consider a year-end gift to the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is in the First Amendment business. They protect your speech, podcasts like this. They especially protect the free exercise of your religion. No matter which church you attend or none at all, no matter whether you want to do a Bible study on campus or just do it at home, Call one 352 5888 That's 1-888-352-5888. 1-888-352-5888. Or visit joinadf.com freedom. Please make your generous gift by December 31st to meet our important year-end goal. Every gift helps protect our freedom. That's joinadf.com freedom or one 888 As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. 
Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Ukrainian Jews find themselves out of the frying pan and into the fire. They left Ukraine to escape the Russian invasion, only to endure the terror of a second war and Hamas after making Aliyah to Israel. Michael Johnson is president of the Slavic Gospel Association. He was a guest on my program. Before we begin to talk about the Ukrainian Jews who have immigrated from Ukraine to Israel most recently, tell us a little bit about the Slavic Gospel Association. So the Slavic Gospel Association was established in 1934 by an immigrant from Belarus by the name of Peter Danica. So next year, we're going to celebrate our 90th anniversary. Oh. And, um, and it was established based upon uh, the recognition of the increase in persecution uh, that was taking place in the Soviet Union at the time uh, toward Christians and churches. So we, uh, so we were heavily involved in the covert distribution of uh, books and Christian literature and Bible in those countries, but we also had a significant uh, radio ministry. We had the largest uh, Russian language radio ministry um, that was being broadcast over shortwave radio into those countries for many, many years. And just as an aside, the, their most favorite radio program was simply the slow reading of scriptures mm. so that they could write it down as they sat in their in their attics and basements listening to the radio programs. And that's that's how they were really given access to the scriptures. When the wall came down, uh, we shifted our strategy, and we're, we, we partner now with the largest group of uh, evangelical Christians throughout those countries, uh, known as the, as the Evangelical Baptist Churches. And there's roughly 6,000 churches across the former Soviet Union. And so since when the war started in Ukraine, we connected with their roughly 2,800 churches. And uh, from day one, we were distributing food and humanitarian aid through their churches to people uh, who had lost their homes, people who were trying to make their way across the country from the east to the west to escape into uh, Eastern Europe. Many of those people were Ukrainian Jews that were making their way across the country. So they would simply go from one church to another, uh, be ministered to, get something to eat. We'd give them gas. They would give them gas, money, and whatnot, and they'd be on their way. And so obviously the Russian Jews that, that left the country to escape the war ended up in Israel. And so when they got there, you know, there's a significant uh, network of Slavic churches, um, Russian-speaking Slavic churches, and they would meet these people as they came into the country. These individuals, most of, for the most part, weren't Christians that they were meeting, and they would get them situated uh, in different parts of Israel. Most of them ended up moving to the southern part of the country in and around uh, the city of Ashkelon, which is, if you've been following the news, Ashkelon is a city that really took the brunt of the missiles and, um, and drones, and there were also a number of Hamas uh, snipers that would be up on top of the apartment people trying to pick people off on the streets. So it was a very dangerous area. And so there is a couple of churches in Ashkelon that uh, because they knew where these people lived and they knew that they were in distress, uh, they would basically, we'd send them money, you know, they'd go out and they purchase food, they cook food, they put together these food packets. And uh, and these people, you know, had just moved there and trying to avoid one more, and they found themselves in the middle of another one that was very intense. And they really they didn't know what, they were just frightened, obviously. Yeah. And they lost all hope. They didn't know what was going to happen to them, and they were just praying that God would show up. And God did show up in the form of these Russian Christians that would just basically knock on their doors and 
you know, give them food and sit down with them and minister to them and and just do what God has called them to do in terms of uh, being able to minister to these people's need in their time of distress in the same way that the Christians in Ukraine have been ministering to the people in their distress uh, based upon the war with Russia. So God is really working significantly in those countries, ministering to people both in word and deed. Well, that's so encouraging to hear that the church is at work in these war-torn areas, both in Ukraine and in uh, Ashkelon and other areas where Hamas has specifically targeted mm-hmm. um, their efforts. Uh, and reading the account of the work that uh, the Slavic Gospel Association churches are doing, I know the question has come up among those Ukrainian Jews saying, first of all, we're Jews. Why are you here? Why are you ministering to us? Um, has that uh, produced a, a hunger for the scriptures, a hunger for the gospel? How is that navigated during this very difficult time? Well, I'll just share one story. Um, uh, as the pastor showed up to this particular home, uh, he, he writes, a rocket flew into their house and destroyed the entire entrance. They've been in the basement of the house since the first days of the war, and we bring them hot food. When we told them that we believe in Christ, they were open to listening. After the conversation, they asked us to give them Bibles and to come again. We talked about Christ the whole evening, and they wanted to study the Bible with us. So we started a Bible study group in the basement. Please pray for these people. So <clears throat> when they come in, basically, you know, the question is posed to the Christian, well, why are you here? What motivates you to risk your life to come and help us? And they just basically say that this is our ministry, and this is the ministry of the local church here. And according to the Scripture, you know, we're commanded to minister to people, you know, that are in need and in desperate situations like yours. And that invariably opens up an opportunity for them to share the gospel with these people. And uh, because many of the people, you know, in Russia, most of the people in Russia, in those countries, they grew up in atheistic homes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even the Russian, Ukrainian Jews did. And that tends to make them a lot more open to the gospel as opposed to having grown up in, say, Orthodox homes. And so there's a tremendous tremendous openness that we're finding because we we fund a significant training and church planting ministry. Uh, where we're training Russian uh, Russian Jewish Christian pastors, sending them out into previously unreached towns and villages in Israel, and then they're sharing the gospel, planting churches, and um, and discipling these people. So now, <clears throat> now that these people have been connected to an Ashkelon, they're literally coming to the church now to receive aid and whatnot, and to continue the fellowship that was established when these people came to their homes. Just amazing. I wanted to emphasize, too, that you mentioned earlier that Hamas snipers have been positioned. This may not be the case now, but at least early on, on rooftops, and they were uh, positioned to kill anyone who ventured out from their apartment to go to the grocery store uh, to get supplies and that sort of thing. So it was a a risky business uh, to serve um, uh, Ukrainian and other Jews in that area, uh, at least early on and perhaps even now. Yeah, well, Pastor Oleg, who is who heads this up in Ashkelon, four months ago, he was sitting in his apartment uh, overlooking the Mediterranean up on the 10th floor in Ashkelon, and the sirens went off. He immediately stood up. His wife immediately stood up. They walked around the corner, and a missile dropped into their living room, destroyed their apartment, and killed the woman uh, in the apartment underneath them. So the Lord spared their lives, but, you know, they're not unfamiliar with with the effects of this war themselves. Yeah, the dangers. Their apartment. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if Ukrainian Jews express an interest in learning more about Yeshua, about Jesus, 
My understanding is Pastor Oleg uh, points to relevant verses in the Tanakh, the the Hebrew Bible. Um, And is that something that is uh, fairly common among those who have been ministered to under this difficult set of uh, circumstances? Yes. I mean, um, one of the things that he tells them when they when they share the gospel with them is that Jesus was Jew. And most of these people had no idea mm-hmm. uh, because they just thought thought that Christianity was an aberrant religion. Um, so, yeah, there are certainly you know, relevant Bible verses that are shared with them, particularly in, in Isaiah 53. And um, and it really begins to open their eyes about the commonality between Christianity and the Jewish faith. Yeah, there's no question about that. Coming up, a Colorado school assigns an 11-year-old boy to share a bed with an 11-year-old girl. Anytime a school district is hiding information from parents, that should be concerning to all of us. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Hey, everybody, Hugh Hewitt for Alliance Defending Freedom. It's year end, and that's time when you write checks and you make contributions to the organizations and charity to do the most for you. Well, I want you to consider a year-end gift to the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is in the First Amendment business. They protect your speech, podcasts like this. They especially protect the free exercise of your religion. No matter which church you attend or none at all, no matter whether you want to do a Bible study on campus or just do it at home, call one 352 That's one 352 one triple eight three five two five eight eight eight, or visit joinadf.com slash freedom. Please make your generous gift by December 31st to meet our important year-end goal. Every gift helps protect our freedom. That's joinadf.com slash freedom or one triple eight three five two five eight eight eight. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. The Jefferson County School District in Denver made news after events surrounding a field trip earlier this year was made public. On a school trip to Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., an 11-year-old fifth-grade girl was assigned to sleep in a hotel room with a boy a boy who identifies as a transgender girl. It's in the news now because Serena and Joe Wales, the girl's parents, have partnered with ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, to press the school district on their policy. Kate Anderson is the director of the Center for Parental Rights at ADF. She was a guest of Gino Geraci on 94.7 FM, The Word, in Denver. So help me understand What's happened? Uh, Obviously, in your article, it says the Jefferson County Public School policy states that students who identify as the opposite sex should be assigned to share overnight accommodations with other students. Now, a policy isn't necessarily the law. Did Jefferson County Public Schools violate the law, this student's rights, this parent's rights? Um, are, Are they following the law or are they violating the law? They're violating the law. 
parents have the constitutional right and frankly the responsibility to direct their kids upbringing and education and that includes getting information from schools about what's going on with their kids being able to make the best decisions for their children and protect their privacy on overnight trips like the one that their daughter mm-hmm. was on um, jefferson county has a policy of rooming students based on their gender identity rather than their sex but the problem with that is that their policy is also to hide that information from parents um, and anytime a school district is hiding information from parents that should be concerning to all of us these parents mm-hmm. need information so they can make mm-hmm. the best decisions for their kids so you don't end up with a girl hiding in a bathroom, calling her parents, trying to figure out how to get out of this very uncomfortable situation she was put in. Now, obviously, according to this article that you've posted at ADFlegal.org, um, you you mentioned that Alliance Defending Freedom sent a letter today to Jefferson County Public Schools on behalf yeah. of these Colorado parents. Uh, I, I suspect they haven't had time to respond. What do you anticipate their response will be? Well, we're very hopeful that they will agree with us and clarify their policy to ensure that all parents get the information that the policy exists, um, that their child, the arrangement for any particular child's rooming um, arrangement so that parents can make the best decision for their kids. This is something that really is a fairly easy fix for Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. Just don't hide this information from parents. Uh, for example, parents assign all kinds of paperwork. They get all kinds of information when they're um, taking a trip like this with their kids. And so anywhere in there, Jefferson County could notify parents of this policy, could let them know confidentially about their child's rooming arrangements and get them to opt in or opt out um, and really protect the privacy of all students um, and the information rights of all parents. Well, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you is what is the current status of parental rights in America uh, as it relates to to government education, even more specifically? Well, the Supreme Court has repeatedly stated that parental rights are fundamental, that parents have the constitutional right uh, to direct their kids' upbringing and education, and that this is an important and fundamental right. But it is a right that's not being respected by too many schools across the country. And this theme of um, failure to be transparent, hiding information from parents, even lying to parents about important issues that impact their kids is just a theme that we're seeing over and over again in the public schools. It's a real attack on parental rights in a way that I'm not sure we've seen um, perhaps ever, but definitely not for a long time. Now, obviously, this is something that you're paying really close attention to. I, I would hope that this is an anomaly, that this is the exception to the rule, um, is this something that is pervasive? Is is what's ha- happened to this young girl and this family in Jefferson County? Is it happening in other places? I believe that it is. This is not an isolated incident to have a policy like this, um, but we don't have many parents coming to the forefront and saying this is what happened to their own kids. Um, you sort of hear about it from time to time, but as the whales said to me, they heard this could happen. They've heard of this kind of thing, but they thought it was sort of overblown until it was at their front door. Uh, and that's really what's happened here. So I'm hopeful that from them stepping up and saying, this is what happened. We needed this information. This put our daughter in a very uncomfortable situation. They have two younger children that are set to go on the same trip and signed up for it. They want to ensure the same thing doesn't happen to their two younger children. 
So there's a bit of an urgency to it for them for that reason. But I'm hopeful that that will impact the policy in Jefferson County and elsewhere. Coming up, Democrats in power right now are absolutely drunk with the notion of taking from parents what is not only constitutionally theirs, but what is a God-given right. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Parents today are under assault, or perhaps more accurately, children are under assault. There's a growing effort by school districts, like the district we just heard about, and in more progressive states, to cut parents out of the equation, to leave them in the dark. Sarah Partial Perry of the Heritage Foundation has been tracking the latest developments in California. She was a guest of Greg Stelz on WAVA in the nation's capital. Right now, you know, the egregious laws and practices, whether it's Washington, California, usurping uh, parents' rights and responsibilities, um, I don't know if this is still true, but, I, you know, it used to be, you know, you couldn't give a child an aspirin without parental consent. But now with regards to abortion, contraception, gender, abusive medical intrusion, um, parents are literally being displaced, even kept in the dark. I mean, can't we just say hiding students' gender identities from their parents is immoral? What's going on here? Well, there was actually a trio of bills that made it to Governor Gavin Newsom's desk in California. And California, we know, is sort of the vanguard for progressive orthodoxy in the nation. And as they go, so goes the rest of the blue states, unfortunately. So we've been watching very closely what the efforts of the governor have been to try to inculcate sexual and gender orthodoxy within the context specifically of public schools. And I think the goal there is to build a whole-of-government gender apparatus from top to bottom that prevents any individual from dissenting against the notion that gender identity is bearing the same legal protection as any other civil right. So what we're seeing here now is sort of the, the flex of anti-discrimination law against parental rights. And these bills on his desk right now waiting for his signature include a bill that will classify as affirmative child abuse, the failure to affirm a minor child's gender identity. It will also defest one parent over another of their custodial interest if they fail to affirm that gender identity. So we're seeing parents who are now at threat of losing their own children if Mm. they are not affirming of that child's delusion. But because these processes of hiding a student's preferred pronouns and preferred name and gender identity from parents implicates a very fundamental constitutional question, it is definitely one of the situations in which we have to pay very close attention because these school board policies are taking off coast to coast. California's was among the first, and in fact, in the... Chino Unified School District, where school boards now operating under conservative leadership have actually passed policies to help parents get involved and to be involved. 
they've actually been sued by the Attorney General of California. So we're, we don't just take this right from the Constitution to direct the upbringing of our children as recognized by the 14th Amendment all the way back in Meyer versus Nebraska in 1923. This is a right that comes to us from God. It is our divine privilege and opportunity to be able to parent the kids that we are given and then prepare them when they are 18 to be able to fly on their own. And what we are being essentially subjected to now is a statism, a form of kidnapping by big government if we do not toe the line on gender ideology and sexual orthodoxy. It is a level of Marxist collectivism collectivism that I've not seen in any other government in this administration. Are they are they directing re, you know I just as you were talking about this I said how in the world can they fund this? I mean when you start talking about counseling, when you start talking about even gender surgery and these kinds of things that are potential aspects of hiding from the parent. Is this one of those things where they can start to say this is child welfare stuff and so we can actually resource this? It just seems like this is a whole big business on top of it. It sure is. And as particularly concerns this notion of gender affirming medical care, right, which we're seeing now in increasing measure from state to state. There are not over 20 states that have enacted gender medicine bans for individuals under the age of 18. And why we like this is because it's appropriate. It's entirely appropriate. And within the state's what's called plenary police power, their ability to legislate on issues concerning safety, health, education, welfare, these are appropriately passed bills that aren't transphobic. They don't go to some sort of nefarious, mission to denigrate a certain class of individuals. No, in fact, they are designed to protect individuals and to make sure that the fleeting fancies of adolescence don't become life-altering, irreversible medical damage. These are passed in the best interest of the children, but boy, there is money at stake. In fact, Human Rights Watch, which writes the Equity and Equality Index for all hospitals in the country to see how LGBTQIA plus affirming they are, are actually paid by Pfizer to actually maintain such an equality and equity index. Big money talks and in gender affirming care, it screams. You know, I was just reading one of the notes in, in your op-ed, too, on these things. These policies you were talking about, they're boosted by, you know, California's AB 957. But Newsom also is talking about judges you know, enforcing this in custody battles and things like this. And it seems like they co-opt everything, whether it's the judicial system, whether it's the monetary system, whether it's the educational system. They seem to be coming at these things from all angles. In some sense, I keep thinking, well, what is a parent to do? I mean, if you're going to stand up against this megalith, it seems like it's overwhelming. But our children really matter. Yes, they do. And elections have consequences. And that's sort of the short and brusque and dirty answer. But it really does come down to who we elect to represent our interests. You know, the people who may have sat out the last election because the party candidate was sort of untenable and they held their nose and they went the other way now have to reckon with the fact that we have an administration that is absolutely hell bent on statism, on a social order that takes its roots in communism and in Marxism and in the kind of collectivism that we learned from Karl Marx decades ago. This is unfortunately the notion of an industrialized approach to child rearing in which 
the children are born by the parents who are essentially nothing more than germinators. They're incubators before the child becomes a ward of the state and is educated to achieve state ideals on the government dime and for state interests. We don't have the luxury of not voting in every election. I cannot encourage all of your listeners enough to that end. And I'm not advocating for a certain party or candidate, but there is, as a general rule, an interest in what we're seeing coming from the White House and from the upper chamber in Capitol Hill and certainly in the state of California from the Democrats in power right now that are absolutely drunk with the notion of taking from parents what is not only constitutionally theirs, but what is a God-given right. Coming up. Education was never envisioned to be a federal entity. It is always best administered at the local level. Hey, everybody. Hugh Hewitt for Alliance Defending Freedom. It's year in, and that's time when you write checks and you make contributions to the organizations and charity to do the most for you. Well, I want you to consider a year-end gift to the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is in the First Amendment business. They protect your speech, podcasts like this. They especially protect the free exercise of your religion. No matter which church you attend or none at all, no matter whether you want to do a Bible study on campus or just do it at home, call one 352 5888 That's one 352 5888 one 352 5888 Please make your generous gift by December 31st to meet our important year-end goal. Every gift helps protect our freedom. That's joinadf.com slash freedom or one 352 5888 Hey, everybody. Hugh Hewitt for Alliance Defending Freedom. It's year-end, and that's time when you write checks and you make contributions to the organizations and charity to do the most for you. Well, I want you to consider a year-end gift to the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is in the First Amendment business. They protect your speech, podcasts like this. They especially protect the free exercise of your religion. No matter which church you attend or none at all, no matter whether you want to do a Bible study on campus or just do it at home, call one 352 That's one 352 one 352 Or visit joinadf.com freedom. Please make your generous gift by December 31st to meet our important year-end goal. Every gift helps protect our freedom. That's joinadf.com slash freedom or one 352 A few more minutes with Sarah Partial Perry. Stay with us. AM radio provides always-on news, sports, talk, traffic, and weather reports. And it's also a vital service that provides important emergency information when your community needs it most. Tell Congress you need AM radio to stay in your car. Because when cell phones and the Internet are down, this free emergency service is critical. And when you don't have electricity, radio in the car is often your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that line from the book of Proverbs is familiar to many of you, but here's another. Give me just one generation of youth, and I'll transform the whole world. Well, that's a line from Vladimir Lenin. 
you could argue that the scriptures and the communist revolutionary agree. Children, the next generation, are key to societal transformation. Let's pick up with a few more minutes of Sarah Parshall Perry from the Heritage Foundation and Greg Steltz on WAVA in the nation's capital. There is a new religion in town, and it's called uh, secular pietism. I, that's kind of how I frame it. And we're going to have blasphemy, secular blasphemy laws. I, you know, that seems to be what's coming in our culture around some of these issues. But I love how you framed it. I tell people all the time, it's not liberal versus conservative, because classic liberals believed in fundamental principles. They believed that there was a reality that was bigger than us. And so did conservatives. We just went at certain things differently. But secular statists, and that's what I think you're talking about, where the benevolent state is all in all, that is a whole different system. And I say to everybody, they hate classic liberals and classic, they, they hate us both. Because we actually believe that the state is not the fundamental organization in the culture. Right. It's family, it's church, and it's our God-given inalienable rights. And they're, they've got a role to play, but it's limited. And you're telling us that now when they take over the educational system, our children are going to come out as good little statists. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And it's part of the reason that the Heritage Foundation has for quite some time advocated for the dissolution of the Department of Education. Listen, education was never envisioned to be a federal entity. It is always best administered at the local level. It is where teachers and administrators and school board officials and school districts and superintendents make curriculum decisions and policy decisions where they set schedules and they organize bus routes. It should never have been under the purview of the federal government. It is our continued hope that that is a uh, reality that we'll one day see that the Department of Education will be essentially dismantled. But until that time, it's an argument for all parents to be as active as possible in asking questions. If they are not able to homeschool, if they are not able to put their children in private school, then for goodness sake, in, in public school, ask questions exercise your parental muscle. You have a right to review your child's records. You have a right under FERPA, which is the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act, and the PPRA, the Pupil Protection Privacy Amendment. Both of those allow an opportunity for review and an opportunity to opt out of information and instruction that you find offensive to your beliefs. It's not a time to sit this one out. Wow, I love what you just said. And and, you know, again, just to let you know, too, we're not this is usually us fighting, whether it's the unions or the federal government. The teachers are a lot of times the teachers are just as frustrated as we parents are in a lot of places. And this is the time to actually say what is best for our children. And like you said, we have not just a right to that. We have a responsibility to that, a God given one. And the state can't take that away. Thank you for joining us for the Christian Outlook. If you enjoyed the program, take a moment to sign up for our podcast at ChristianOutlook.com. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan and James Blend, I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. 
We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv and on local now, channel 525. 